Hello, welcome to another episode of Sabat Podcast. Let's just get right into the story. So today's case is going to be about Stephen Lawrence. Now it's a case that's really um like it rings a bell in the people that live in the UK. Now I feel like many people know the name, but I feel like one of those cases that you, if once you do a deep dive, that's when you realize the real importance of, of what it is. So let's start with who Stephen Lawrence is. So he was born to Doreen and Novio Lawrence, and they both immigrated from Jamaica to live in England. So they actually immigrated diff- separately and then came to the UK and then met. And oh, okay. mm-hmm. So Novio immigrated in 1960, Doreen in 1962, then met in uh, 1970 and got married in 1972, and then in 1974 they had Stephen together and after Stephen they'll have two more children Stuart and Georgina Lawrence but um, moving on Neville Neville sorry I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right but Neville Lawrence um, he was the one that passed on to Stephen the passion of becoming an, ar- an architect yes to become an architect and it was because he did not have the facilities to you know make this dream possible which is very common in ethnic houses um to pass you know the parents passing the dreams onto their children because they couldn't achieve those but that is the case Doreen is also a really strong woman and you'll see how strong she is throughout this whole case and I feel like if she wasn't there and she didn't bring her strong character into this case I feel like many things wouldn't have happened you know I, I think that she was really important in this case as she kept pushing. She did not give up throughout this case. Um, she made sure that they um, were regular attendees of the Methodist Church. And yes, it seemed like a really normal family with um, a child with a lot of ambition. Stephen was also one of the best sprinters in his school. So he was doing really well for himself. He had- we also need to know about his friend, um, Dwayne Brooks, who was his best friend in the first day of school. And from there, they became just inseparable together so even when they changed paths to college i believe they would still meet at lunch or after school they would hang out and do one thing or the other you know the thursday of the 2nd of april 1993 was a day like every other you know stephen woke up he went to school after school he decided to hang out a little bit you know around he would just um Basically, just hanging out around by himself, um, even some window shopping. And like every other day, he met with his friend, Dwayne Brooks. So with, with Dwayne, they decided to go to um, Stephen's uncle's house, I believe. And there they just play video games, hang out together. They just had a good time, you know, yeah. just it's kind of distress. You know, college can be very stressful, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, they had a really good time. They just distressed and stuff like that. So um, as it was getting late to the day they uh make their way to the bus stop now the bus that was supposed to get to that would take them directly home wasn't available so like it was available but it was going to come about 10 30 p.m Uh, yeah so they basically decided to like cut the journey little pieces so get a bus from that bus stop that they were at and then it will take them somewhere else and then from there somewhere else right so um, they took the first bus, I believe, and that ended them at Eltham. Um, by the way, this happened in southeast London, so I did not mention that before. At this point, it was 10.25 p.m., and he decided to walk to the end of the road to see if there was any sign of a bus. There wasn't, basically. So he started walking back, and um, Dwayne, I even one point shouted towards Stephen to ask him if, was, if the bus was coming. But the only thing that they saw was just a group of five teenagers coming towards them, shouting towards them and saying, what, what, and word I'm not going to say it, but you get it. So they walked towards him, towards Stephen, and quickly surrounded Stephen. And this attack that lasted about 10 to 15 seconds, they stabbed Stephen twice. They stabbed him on both sides of his body, once on his arm and once on his chest. And these injuries were not light. They were not slashes. These were, these were like five inches stabs or 13 centimeter stabs. Dwayne witnessed all of this. So, of course, he got scared and started running. And 
shouted for Stephen to run with him as well. So Stephen was able to get up and run with Dwayne and the five teenagers run the opposite direction. Basically, when is the opposite direction, I'm not too sure, but they went away from them. Right. And of course, was scared that they might come back for him because this was obviously a racist attack. And these were two black boys just 10 p.m. waiting for the bus. So they started running away and they managed to run about 100 yards, 130 yards together. And of course, Stephen, because of his injuries, he wasn't running like he wasn't running upright. He was holding his side. He was slouching to the you know, to the side he was not doing well yeah but, but he managed to run quite a lot it was impressive you know um, he had a pretty good physical fitness and the fact that he was able to run this much kind of tells us that he was really good um after 130 yards he fell to the ground and that's when we suspected that he passed away oh Dwayne was not doing well, of course. He was frantic. He was trying to stop the cars around him. He uh, went to a payphone and called for um, emergency services to come and attend to Stephen. Instead of emergency services, a police car pulls up. Not two. Not two police cars, not three, just one. And this guy just gets out of the car. And... Dwayne is, of course, confused and angry. My friend is bleeding to death. And I called for the ambulance. Why is the police say that is not what I called for? And the police did not show little to, showed little to no interest in Stephen. He was bleeding on the ground. They did not touch him. They did not try to detect where he was bleeding from. They did not even see if the boy was alive or not. I don't believe they did that. All they wanted to do is ask Dwayne what happened and even if Dwayne told them what was happening they wasn't they weren't believing him they thought they were looking at Dwayne as the suspect actually they thought that they're going into a fight and maybe Dwayne got too angry and hit um Stephen on the head see they didn't even know where the bleeding was coming from they thought that he was like bleeding from the head but clearly he wasn't and Dwayne was trying to explain to them what was going on and they just wasn't believing him oh you know, maybe you got angry and you hit him or um, they go in a fight or they were involved in a gang and pissed off some people and Stephen mm-hmm. got stabbed as a result. That's what they were believing. That's what they wanted to believe. This was messed up. Honestly, because you will see as we go that the police was trying to prove this theory that they were in a gang. There was not letting it go. There was not letting it go. Because I feel that the mentality here is that you see two black boys, one of them has stabbed gang. Mm-hmm. Drugs. You right. did something. Stereotypical. Yeah. They, put, they literally mentally put them in this box. Like, oh, you must have done something. But yeah. Um, as they were waiting for the emergency services to get there, for the ambulance to get there, um, mm-hmm. There was no doing much actually they were just standing there and two this lovely christian couple was walking by and saw this little boy just lying on the ground by himself and they approached him and they held his hand and they prayed for him and they let him know that he was loved in the last moment of his life they just paid attention to him they gave him a little bit of attention that mm. the police clearly wasn't ready to give him that right way. yeah and i think even though this gesture doesn't seem so big it's okay. yeah, yeah it, it puts people to peace you right. know honestly, yeah. Yeah. honestly it down. Mm-hmm. like he was probably having a panic attack even though he is dying exactly right. yeah and it, it, honestly if it was my child that was in this in this position uh, god forbid and i knew i i had that somebody you know took care of him and prayed mm-hmm. with him and stayed with him for a little bit that would mean that would put me at peace a little bit more yeah you know so i think that was really sweet but ambulance got there and took him and took him to the hospital and pronounced him dead um it's suspected that he died as he fell or he died on the pavement right there so there was nothing that they could do uh, in about an hour they told 
Stephen's mom about it and she went to see him and she said that he looked peaceful. Mm. He didn't look, you know, angry or scared. His his expression wasn't, you know, anxious or, you know, afraid of something. He, He almost looked like, he looked peaceful. He almost looked like he was smiling even. So I think that was really um, kind of a really difficult moment for a mother because yeah, of course nobody should ever be able to go through this. But that's that's what she said about her son. Um, Dwayne was not allowed in the ambulance, of course. So he was driven there by um, the police officer. He was dropped off in front of the um, hospital. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, at one point they asked him if he wanted to go inside of the hospital or stay in the Police, police car, car. and he decided to stay in the police car because I, I i believe it was just so much going on right you know you don't want to be in the hospital with all the craziness and i feel like in this moment he needed somebody to lean or somebody to tell him it's okay we're gonna do this we're gonna do that you're gonna go home you're gonna have some sleep you're gonna calm down and you know reassure him but the police wasn't doing any of that they did not give him the sensitive right. approach because they were looking at him as a suspect or as a witness, not as a victim. They, they didn't treat him as a victim at all. They actually treated him so, so badly. I can understand how he would be... F- well, I can't really say I understand because I've never been in that position, but it seems terrible. One of the police officers, uh, I, I want to say one of the Met police officers, I don't want to make it seem like it's every police officer that acts like this, but it was really insensitive. Mm-hmm. And uh, proceeded to look at Dwayne, smirk, because he had run and left his mate. Oh my gosh! Like How he do- knew what was going, what he was going through. How are you even allowed to say that as a police officer? Like, uh, of- oh my gosh! I don't even know because I don't, I don't know what makes people think that that is okay to sit there and laugh as somebody who had just seen his best friend die probably feels very guilty for running away maybe but mm-hmm. even okay i don't want us to see to um sit here and be like oh if i was in the situation i would have i would have i would have no you wouldn't have no you wouldn't have because you've never been in that position of course he was scared he knows how it is to be in that moment but you don't so you i don't want us to sit here and think Oh, if I was doing, I would have done this. I would have done that. No, you wouldn't. You have been stricken with fear. That's what would have happened. So please do not judge him and do not act like you would have done something, you know, better or worse. I mean, it's it's instinct to just run away from danger. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's it. So next day, something really good happens. What happens is that um, somebody delivers a letter with a list of the names of the possible attackers, right? Okay. And Yeah, and in the next 48 hours, in the next two days, literally about 20 people will come forward and tell them the same names over and over again. Mm-hmm. The same blessed names. And the police will not go ahead to arrest them for about two weeks. What? They won't. They not lit- even investigation or anything. No, they lit- these people came forward. I mean, most of the people that came to tell them these names were um, anonymous because mm-hmm. they were scared. These boys had a reputation. They did stuff like this. This was not the first time they attacked somebody. This was actually one Pretty of many. Cool. One of many. They had a reputation, so they were scared. Also, one of the boys was involved with somebody who I'm going to tell you about later on. So the names that kept coming up over and over again is Neil Accord, Jamie Accord, Gary Dobson, David Norris, and Luke Knight. So these were um, a gang of five white boys. I want to say boys because they were just so incredibly young. Um, so let me tell you about the ages in a second. Yeah. Like the oldest of them was 17. The oldest was 17. The rest was... So we have Neil Lacourt, who was the leader of the gang. He was 17. We have Luke Knight, who was uh, 16. We had uh, Gary Dobson, who was kind of the brains of the gang. You know, he was logical. He was like the... Um, I want to say the, the 
womanizer maybe i don't even know and he was 17 as well jamie accord who was the brother of new accord who was 16 and we have david norris who was 16 at the time so a little bit on david norris is that he was the son of somebody called uh, clifford norris and he was a notorious drug dealer at the time so maybe Adam was a drug dealer yeah yeah oh so he was the son so maybe that's why people are a little bit scared to come forward um, and, t- and tell who he was or even say it without being anonymous. And it's possible that the investigation could have been a little bit delayed because of this. I, I'm not saying that it's delayed because he's the son. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe this could have been an obstacle. Right. Okay. But um, his father did have some level of influence on him, even though he wasn't there always. You might have had like a level of influence. Okay. So the gang, this gang loved knives. They carried them around. They would use them to intimidate like people, locals, anyone use anyone really. They would use them in fights. Um, four weeks before Stevens murder, actually, Gary Dobson and New Accord attacked a young black teenager called Kevin London and att- attempted to stab him. Also stabbed two victims, um, which. So if I pronounce this wrong, Gardeep and Stacy, they stabbed these two people. A year earlier, Jamie Accord stabbed a black teen named Darren Wyvern. And of course, all these facts and all this reputation that they have and the fact that they have criminal record, that sets grounds for reasonable that for reasonable suspicion. So the police should have been able to go forward and arrest them on oh. yeah. Of course, um, on, on rounds of reasonable suspicion, but they didn't. They wasted the time questioning the Stephen family, the Lawrence family. Sorry, they uh cre- they questioned their family and their friends, and they even checked um Doreen and ne- and Neville's um criminal record. I think they were digging this deep on this family, proved that oh they must be they must be involved with some day work. They must be in a gang. That's why Stephen got involved in this business and got stabbed. So as part of the investigation, the police decided to put a photographer outside of the get-together of the five boys. So I believe they have this place where just get together and hang out. And they put a photographer outside to take pictures just in case they engage in some suspicious activity. And this is the worst idea ever. Because, yes, to be able to take pictures of the suspicious behavior that's going on but this photographer in fact is just a photographer now did they do something suspicious yes so one of the boys was seen coming out with a black bag which we could think is evidence you know because in these two weeks in this days the police didn't arrest them they had enough time to hide their stuff to burn their stuff to wash it to you know basically get rid of clear evidence this photographer wasn't a police officer so he could not go and check the bag or arrest the boy mm-hmm. all he could do was take pictures and this was 1993 so he could not just call the police and be like hey come over this is what i saw mm-hmm. he had to take pictures go back and mm-hmm. then be like yeah this is what i saw these are the pictures I'm sorry, that bag is gone. He threw it away. So that was a very dumb decision. I, I don't know if the police felt proud of that, pos- of that decision. Oh, yeah, let's get a photographer outside. I don't know what they thought was going to happen. But, of course, this was very stupid. Also, there was a really um, crucial witness, a potentially crucial witness, who tried calling the police about three times. They did not pick up. What? They did not pick up the calls. <laughs> And she left and she left even three voicemails. Did the police get it? No. Oh, what? What? I, I literally don't know. I am so confused because I get, okay, you missed one call, two calls. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Three plus the voicemails. I don't know. And it's the police. Exactly. I mean, you could say, oh, the police was busy. Yeah, but it's their job to uh, gather evidence and, you know, see as many witnesses as possible mm. but it's like the police just ignored this person i mean 
how do you miss three calls from the same person and three voicemails from the same person? I guess if you miss one or two. But I think at the third time, at the number three, I feel like many of us get concerned. Many of us get like, oh, this is serious. It's the police. They should always pick up. I know it's the police and they're supposed to pick up, but I don't know what happened here. I don't know if the connection was bad. I don't know. I don't even, I, I can't even say. Um, another error that, that the police made is that they created this system called Homes. And it was kind of like a system where you could log in and then put the evidence on a computer and the evidence, witness statements, just anything on there so that if somebody needs to go and review a case, they could literally just open it and it's, everything is there. Mm. Sounds excellent, doesn't it? Yeah. Here's the problem. Half of the people knew how to use it and the other half didn't. Oh my gosh. I, it's so, oh my God. It feels like a cartoon. It feels like a cartoon. So basically, the people that knew how to use it will upload the evidence, to upload everything about the case on the system. But the people that didn't know how to use it, they wouldn't be able to access it. Okay. And let's say the people that don't know how to use it try to upload something, they upload it the wrong way and the evidence will go lost. Or the numbers of witnesses will go lost and statements will go lost because they don't know how to use it. So how it, business is this? it feels like a cartoon, but it's not funny because this is real. Yeah, because this is real life. It's not funny. I hate it. And it's such small, small things that right. yeah, seem like common sense. They could have easily fixed, but they didn't. That's the problem. So, um, of course, they had to see the witnesses um, that were at the scene the night of the murder. And I think there were about two people. There were about two people at the bus stop with Dwayne and Stephen. And I think they were called over. Witnesses were asked to um, choose who the suspects were from a lineup, from a police lineup. So basically, when they line up a bunch of pictures in front of you and they ask you to you know, point out. Yeah. Yeah, they basically ask you to point out who you saw or who it is. And from those lineups, they basically ruled out Dwayne because Dwayne was just not the perpetrator because, again, they thought of him as a potential suspect. Mm -hmm. The witnesses were like, yeah, no, he, no, he wasn't the one that uh, Stephen. And uh, even Dwayne pointed at one of the boys, um, I believe, knew a court from the police lineup as well. So finally... On the 7th of May, 1983, the police decides to do something and actually go and arrest them. Now, yeah. this is the day after Doreen and Neville Lawrence go to meet Nelson Mandela. So what? these, the parents go and meet Nelson Mandela. Mandela condemns the UK police and they're like, okay, now let's actually go and... Wait, what? Nelson Mandela? How did they get hold of Nelson Mandela? Explain, please. Um, I guess he was just... Um, he heard about the case, um, about this, the situation that the, fam the Lawrence family was in, and he decided to meet up with them and then speak about it. And he openly condemned, you know, the police and said that black people's lives are cheap in the UK. As in, they are not taken seriously, you know, and which he is very right because how... How is the police being so lazy and so slow about this investigation when a teenager had been murdered, an 18-year-old who had his whole life in front of him had been murdered and nobody is doing much about it. But it took this really powerful man to come forward and condemn the police openly for them to finally think, oh, well, let's go arrest them now. Okay. So on the 7th of May, 1993, as I said before, they went ahead and arrested the five boys from Eltham. Neil Accord and his brother Jamie Accord and Gary Dobson were the first ones to get arrested. Then we have David Norris, who actually turned himself in and then yeah. was arrested three days later. And then we have Luke Knight, who also was arrested. Mm. Now, their interviews were pretty empty because... All the boys were saying was no comment, no comment, no comment. Like, what is your name? No comment. You know, they weren't saying anything. And I believe one of the boys' interviews even lasted seven minutes. Wow. Yeah, I don't really understand that one because 
even in cases where the like you know the suspect is saying no comment over and over again the police keeps pressing how did this last seven minutes i don't have many details on that but i would love to know why this was so short because something isn't right about it like i don't know why but uh yeah they also went ahead to uh, check the houses to search them yeah and um they see, they managed to seize like the clothing that they were said to have been wearing that night um you know some of the jackets and whatnot but they also got a tip off that said that they hid their weapons under the floorboards but oh. here's the problem okay yeah well they got that tip off the police got that tip off right yeah. but the people that were going to the scene to check the houses yeah didn't know oh so the people that knew didn't tell the other police officers they were actually going to check their houses that the weapons might be under the floorboards. Wait, so, so did the people that know let the others know? No. So <laughs> they either so they either like they found some knives, but I from what I read, it wasn't from under the floorboards. So they either checked the floorboards and there was nothing, or they didn't check because they didn't know. Which this is why I keep saying it feels like a cartoon, but it's not funny. <laughs> like, it feels like a, a joke, almost. It feels like it's, it's like a humorless joke. I don't know. But that's <laughs> that. But at least they got some of the clothing that they were said to have been wearing. You know, the witnesses described what they were wearing. So they took a few of their clothes and seized them. Um, uh, as I said before, so I made an error. Now is when the witnesses were told to pick the person from the lineup and they all chose they pointed out a few people pointed at new court including Dwayne. so new court and look knight they were both charged with murder but in july that being two months after the murder the cps which is the crime prosecution service drops the case against them why allegedly because uh, there was not enough evidence so they were like yeah no gosh so you have people oh my gosh okay yeah I understand this me no neither but that's the thing is because they missed they missed so many chances right you know because if they had searched the house let's say the day after the murder they would have found stuff mm-hmm. because they had they had enough time the criminals to hide and burn and put like mm-hmm. behind everything that they used that night so, of mm-hmm. course, if you went and searched the house two weeks later, naturally, they would have gotten rid of the evidence. Right. Look at me, I'm not even the police and I know this. Okay? So, I don't know what made them think, oh, yeah, that's not a good idea, but um, putting a photographer in front of the house, yeah, let's do that. That's so genius. Like, I, I don't understand the thought process behind this. So, the fact that the CPS dropped the case uh, kind of forced the Lawrence family to go and do their own private investigation on this case which is really risky because if they came forward with their own private investigation and they the criminals get acquitted and they're found not guilty that means that they cannot be retrialed for the same crime again so we had this ever no so let's say you rob a bank and then they bring you in, and then you're found no guilty, you will not be able to go in trial for the same crime ever again. Because there was this law called the double jeopardy, which means basically what explained it. That's what it meant. Mm. But the Lawrence family went ahead anyways because they were not giving up so easily. And they brought the boys forward. The, base, the whole case was built off of Dwayne, who was the primary you know, the primary witness he was with Stephen that night. But Dwayne had to get going to court and be cross-examined. So basically, you know, ask questions from both sides. Yeah. And he was deemed unreliable, an unreliable vit- witness. Yeah. Um, I, I can't imagine how traumatic that must have been for Dwayne. You know, you have to talk about everything all over again and then ask, be asked questions. Also because when it comes to cross-examination, the sides can be quite, like, aggressive, you know? Like one side is asking questions to get the facts right. The other side is there to call you a liar. You know, 
the, the other side is there to be like, oh, maybe is it possible that you didn't see very well? Is it possible that you, oh, are you lying about something? That's what it is. So I think that it was very intense, you know, experience for him. But they were acquitted, the criminals, and they were found, I believe, not guilty. Not, I don't want to say they were, they were found not guilty, but Dwayne was an unreliable witness. Moving on. So in August of that year, the police was forced to do an internal review of the case because I guess it didn't sit right with people the way the police handled this case. So like, yeah, you have to do an internal review about what happened with this case, with the Stephen Lawrence case. And um, guess what they came up with? There were no issues detected. And do you know why? Why? Because the person that did the internal review was part of that police, you know, um, basically police sector, the police precinct. He was part of it. So, of course, if you're told, hey, investigate your own people, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, there's nothing wrong. Also, if there was something wrong, he would have gotten in trouble because he was in charge. Mm. So naturally, he's going to be like, yeah, we did everything we could do. There was nothing wrong because he was part of the same team. I don't know. Like, it, it, I, don't, I feel like it's common sense. If I was in charge at that point and was like, yeah, I'll do an internal review, I would assign somebody else from another team to come and do it. You know, but they just didn't, I guess. Personally, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, like I don't, I don't understand. But um, yeah, this case remained cold for about a year. Um, nothing was coming forward, but rightfully so. The Lawrence family just kept pushing. They kept, you know, the campaign kept pushing. People were still outraged. So another investigation was was announced um, because of the Lawrence family. So <clears throat> this investigation, I want to say, was much better, right? Because they planted hidden cameras in uh, Gary Dobson's flat in hopes that they would talk about the murder. How were they even allowed to do that? How did they do that? I don't know. <laughs> they just did. And I believe one of the officers even moved, he bought a house near his flat and became friends with him. That's for Okay, yeah. It's it, was it sounds very cool, doesn't it? But it's the wrong timing. It's the absolutely wrong timing. Because right. let's say you killed somebody a year later, are you just going to sit and talk about it? No, we're trying to forget it. Exactly. So they did not get anything from those hidden cameras and microphones. All they got is just racist language. They were really, they were raging racist. So, you know, you were here. Oh, they were so racist. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I think Gary Dobson, if I'm not wrong, it's either Gary or David. Um, I think in 1994, he was, he was asked what he would do to black people. Man said, I will cut both of their legs and arms off and tell them to swim home. Wow. Yeah, tell me this person did not. Oh, my goodness. I don't even know what to say, but that's all they got. All they got was racist language and, you know, just brutal language. They did not find anything from the madam. So mm. nothing came from that investigation. That was also a bit of a fail. Okay, so after this second brilliant investigation, nothing came to an end. Like, there was no conclusion. Um, I actually remember reading from a website, I don't remember which one, but I remember reading that Doreen Lawrence, Stephen Lawrence's mom, suggested to the police, why don't you hide like a camera somewhere just to get, you know, a camera, just something to record something, you know, to get them to confess. One of the officers looked at her and said, we don't do that. Yes, you do. You do that. The police, of course you do. <laughs> I know. I, I, like, I read, I was like, you don't do that? You just did. Like, okay, what's the difference? A few years, a few months. But I, I guess they don't. After the investigation, of course, there, nothing, came, nothing came forward. There was not enough proof. It basically was not proof that they did anything to Stephen because they did not talk about it. Because why would you talk about a matter you committed a year ago? You know? Um, uh, there was also, after this, a three-year inquiry came to the conclusion that this was, this, the Stephen Lawrence matter was an unlawful killing in a completely unprovoked racist attack by five white youths. That was kind of like the official one. Like people knew that it was the racist attack, everybody already knew. But this statement made it 
official for people to think, you know, to know, oh, yes, this is, in fact, a racist attack. We, we've been new, but thank you. Also, <laughs> also in February 1997, um, the Daily Mail came up with this headline, which was a really dairy, like, no dairy as in, like, the milk, but, it, like, it was um, dairy. I don't know. What's the word? Like, do you know when people dare you to do stuff? Daring. Sorry. Daring. There you go. That's it. <laughs> it was a really daring headline. So it basically was a picture of all the five white youths. And mm-hmm. the headline was murderers. Just mm-hmm. on it. Even though the case was not closed and there was not enough proof. Well, there was not enough proof, allegedly, to say that they were murderers. But they put that on it, and people were like, oh my goodness. And under that, it was, if we are wrong, you can sue us, something like that. Yeah. Which I was like, yeah, that's very dangerous because you put your whole reputation on the line. But well done to the Daily Mail. They did what they believed. So this headline brought the case back up. You know, yeah. people were talking about it again. People were like riled up about it again. And also in 1999, the McFacing report was published. So it's basically a report super long report full of suggestions i want to say about 70 suggestions to the mm-hmm. police how to better their um their policing and how to better do their job basically yeah. so uh this person gave them a bunch of advice about training about first aid you know police start learning first aid because yeah. steven was literally on the floor he did not know where he was bleeding from he did not even try to give him cpr or anything learn because um, the police was even asked at one point during an interview, do you know what the ABCs of CPR are, is? And mm-hmm. they didn't. <laughs> like, this is stuff that you, like, you teach seven-year-olds. You teach people at primary school, you know, check the airways, the breathing, the circulation. They did not know that. Full-on adults. Nope. So that was the Mephason report. It's really important. It's really good. I think anybody who you know tries to study this case you go and read that report that report it's has a really good breakdown there's a few things that could be improved about report but that's a definitely good one it talks about the Duane separately talks about parents as well and all their quotes and all the things that said in the experiences of the police which was honestly horrendous now that the case is back on the public eye um the police was still not doing much okay i i I don't know what they were doing. I literally don't know. I don't know what to say. I think all they were saying is <laughs> we'll look into it, which is like, okay, well, they weren't doing much. But after the McPherson report, uh, it labeled the police, the Met Police, specifically the Metropolitan Police, as institutionally, institutionally racist, which, okay. yeah, I think that by now in 2022, we all know what that means. In 2004, the CPS, that being the Crown Persecution Service, uh, says that, the, again, there is still not enough evidence to persecute anybody for the Stephen Lawrence murder. And in 2005, something very good happens, finally. Not very good, but something goodish. And that is that the double jeopardy law is abolished, which means that somebody can be prosecuted for the same crime again if new evidence comes up. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, sense. this so this basically opens a door for these boys to be prosecuted again. And at the time, of course, um forensics gets better. You know, 1983, I don't want to say that forensic was the best, okay? If they had found good clothing in time in order to, you know, examine maybe something that the boys have hadn't hadn't thrown away. I'm not saying that they did throw anything away, but that's possible. They could have found out that they were the murderers, but now forensics was much better, so they decided to re-examine and to go over the evidence that they had gathered from these boys. And they found that in the collar of Gary Dobson and in the jacket, they found a microscopic stain of blood. It was so small, and it was less than a half, half of a millimeter. Like it was microscopic, but that was found to be Stephen Lawrence's blood. It was pretty accurate, actually. And they also found uh, fibers of the clothing that Stephen was wearing that night on um, the jacket, I believe. And that, again, 
was new evidence, was finally good evidence for them to be arrested. So, yeah. um, also on Norris's clothes, on um, David Norris, uh, there was also the small fibers of um, Stephen Lawrence's hair on his clothes. So in May 2011, I'm saying 2011 so intensely because this crime happened in 1993, um, Gary Dobson and Davis Norris are finally arrested and charged with murder of Stephen Lawrence. The trial began in November and lasted about two months. In January 2012, both men were found guilty of murder. Nine years later. Nine? Count again. Three is when it's happened. Count again. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, like it took them so it's like almost twenty years. It took them so. Yeah, it took them oh, so. Yeah. Sorry, my math was nothing. Don't worry. <laughs> But it took them so long to get these two to be arrested. And so Gary Dobson got a minimum of 15 years, which I know it's disappointing. And David Norris got a minimum of 14 years. They were sentenced as juveniles, even though they were like in their 30s at this point. Because, you know, they were young. They were teenagers when they committed this crime. Which I don't, I don't know how to feel about that because now they're grown, they're full-on grown adults. Yeah. And they're still racist. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to say about this, but that's what, that's what, the, you know, that's the sentence they got. And at least it's something. They convicted two out of five, two out of five, 20 years later. Well, so Dwayne was compensated. I was about to say compensated. Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, Dwayne was compensated um, £100,000 for the way the police treated him. Um, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't really like when police compensate people with money. I don't like when anyone compensates people with money. Cause it's like, okay, you traumatized me. Now you give me money. <laughs> like, okay. I, I don't know how to feel about that, but at least they did something for him that, you know, shows that they know that they messed up. Right. And, um, Dwayne also released a book and it was called Steve and Me. Me okay. personally, not me. I personally did not read that book, but I, I don't know. I recommend people to go and read it. It's always, it's always a different experience to read a book from somebody that was directly there. And there's also videos of interviews uh, with him talking about his experience. And it's very heartbreaking, of course. But I recommend, you know, learning a little bit more about him. Um, ne um, Neville's and Doreen's marriage, of, unfortunately, did not survive this case they ended up divorcing okay which is very common when in cases like these when a child dies i think it has to do with you know the parents maybe you know grieving differently and growing mm -hmm. distant as you know it's yeah it's really common but unfortunately did not survive and uh, navio forgave the murderers okay and yeah and i don't think he forgave them because, oh, they were just boys. I think he forgave them. Not, I don't want to assume the reason why he forgave them, but many people forgive um, the matters of a loved one for their own peace. Yeah. You know, because if you carry that grudge around, you, you can't, it's like you can't sleep. You can't have fine peace mm -hmm. in yourself. So he decided to forgive them. But Stuart, that being uh, Lawrence's younger brother, he could not do the same. He wasn't able to do that. And but they both like resent the police for the way that they handled the situation, because it really does show that black people in this country are not taken seriously. This like the fact that the police was trying to even prove that oh they must have done something, therefore you know um, Stephen took the fall, or maybe Stephen was involved in some kind of dirty business and he got stabbed as a cause of that. Doreen even said, no black person can ever trust the police. This idea is not preconceived. It is based on experience and people that I know who had had bad experiences with the police. It's very common. You know, uh, minorities in this country do suffer quite a bit with the police, you know, stop and search and stuff like that. Um, I remember reading <clears throat> that um, young black people feel over-policed but not protected they feel like they're being controlled a lot of the time 
you know, oh, what are they doing? Are they committing crime? Are they blah, 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 drugs, stabbing, blah, blah, blah. But as soon as something happens to them, it's like the police isn't there to show the same energy that they had before. And that's how they feel. These are real feelings. These are not just things that we come up with. These, this is, as Doreen said, this is not preconceived. This, these are real experiences. These are real people's lives. Novio Lawrence also said, when a police officer puts his uniform on, he should forget his, all his prejudices. If he cannot do that, then he should not be doing the job because that means that one part of the population is not protected. Mm-hmm. That which is absolutely right. In this yeah, case, it really does show that you know the, it really does show the favor favoritism because one of the officers I believe is called Stephen Grooves. He was one of the first people to uh, go to the scene. He had a very casual and unprofessional attitude about himself. And I can guarantee you that if these two teenagers were in fact white, his whole demeanor would have been different. Mm. And it does really, it, this case is so important because it uncovered the police. It really showed who they really are. And there is a, a report that says that the police is no longer institutionally racist, which I think is a really, really stupid um, statement to make. Because if you say that, it's like you really don't understand what institutional racism mean, means. And then when you say no longer, does it mean that you are admitting? Exactly. Uh, like yeah. it's, I don't know that statement. It just sounds, it, it just makes people, it really, like me hearing somebody say, oh, this country is not, you know, it's not racist anymore. This country is not institutionally racist, so the police isn't anymore. It really shows that you don't understand what that means. Because can you can you monitor people's thoughts? Can you go inside people's heads and search for racism? And the reason did you check everybody's brain in that police precinct? Like <laughs> you cannot strip the prejudice attitude off of somebody before they put their uniforms on. That's why everybody has to do that by themselves. And uh, one more one more thing before we close is that I don't want people to go thinking that this is just one case. You know, it just happened in 1993, and and that's why it's important. Stephen Lawrence's case is one of many. In 1990s, in London, it was a messy year. Like, I can give you a list of these people. In 1991, we have Bruce Bryan, who was 37, and he was in central London and was murdered on a street attack. He was racially abused and stabbed to his death, and as well as his brother, Kevin, who was also stabbed in the stomach. Mm. Um, in February 1991, we also have Ronald Adams, who was 15 in South London. He was stabbed in the he was stabbed in the throat uh, by a gang of 12, I believe. I could be wrong here, but he was stabbed by a gang, and that was shouting the N word at him. So this again was a racially motivated attack. And I also want to share how people thought at that point. So in January 1992, um, Nad- Navid Sadia. Mm-hmm. was 15 in Southwark, Southwark, South London. He was, there was a robbery going on. He was shot during the robbery. And the attacker, being white, says, Good, I hope they die. My name is Conry. Good English name that. What am I going to get for doing a couple of insert peace love for South Asian people? Mm-hmm. My, I am Anglo-Saxon. So he basically said that, what is he going to get for doing a couple of insert slur? You know, that's basically what he's saying. And he said that he's Anglo Saxon, which, why? <laughs> no, no, nobody cares. He said that. But I could go on with the, with the list because I just want people to understand that this is not just one case out of the blue, it's one of many. This isn't the first time. So that's basically it. Uh, Amara, do you have any, any thoughts you want to share? Well, black lives here in the UK are cheap because... Nelson Mandela. Yeah, I feel like because we are a minority, we don't... They think that we don't really have a choice since we're not in our own country, even though black people are born here, basically are British. I feel like the police still sees us... No, I'm not going to generalise, yeah. By the way, we are. By the way, we are both black. 
Yeah, just in case you didn't know. Um, I feel like most police um officers, yeah, they still feel like we don't belong here. So of course, there's always going to be that biasness. If someone is racist and you give him that job, he doesn't have to tell you that he's racist. You wouldn't know that. But like you said, you can't check everyone's head. Mm-hmm. Still going to be biasness. There's always going to be bias. There's always going to be racism. But like a case like this, that they even have to like get Nelson Mandela himself mm-hmm. to say something, that just says a lot, you know. And then again, the statement that the um, police force is no longer racist. Racist, was it? Yeah, in- institutionally racist. Institutionally racist. By you saying no longer. That means that you're basically admitting to being racist. Yeah. It's just like you're shooting yourself in the knees at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's good that you're doing that. They're shooting yourself in the knees. Um, (laughs) Sorry. It's good that you're admitting that, but I don't know, that statement doesn't sit with me. It doesn't sit right with me because there's so much to institutional racism. It's not just, oh, yeah, we, we won't. Yeah, we'll investigate the cases of black people dying too. You know, it's like, okay, well, thank you, I guess. Mm. But yeah, that's basically, I hope you guys um, enjoyed this episode. I know it's been so long. It's oh, been so long. I'm sorry. Yeah, happy new years, by the way. September, yeah. October? Wait, um, September, sure. October. <laughs> December, January, Feb. Oh my goodness, it's been six months. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But we're and back a little bit yeah. rusty, but we're back. Okay. Next yeah. episode being out on Friday. It's going to be conspiracy theories this time. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, our new schedule. Okay. Yeah. So basically, we'll be posting every Tuesday and Friday. And Tuesdays will be mainly true crime and will be the story basically told by me. And on Fridays, it will be told by Amara, and it will be mainly about, you know, conspiracies and theories and all that. So if, you, if you're if you into that, I look forward to it. Stay tuned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's basically it. If you enjoyed this, um, you know, this episode, let us know what your thoughts and stuff like that. So thank you so much for listening. See you thank in the next you. episode.